With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Uh, everything is awful. Everything is awful. Um, on top of me serving jury duty, <laughs> Syracuse lost to Louisville and didn't just lose. Um, it was kind of miserable. Dan, your initial thoughts after uh, after pretty... I'd say lackluster effort in the second half that reminds me a lot of what was happening in the first part of the season when we were really struggling. I was going to say, I feel like we all kind of served uh, jury duty in some form today. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I my overarching response, and I think it was tolerated by like having Twitter open during the game, is just after basically not losing a game for three weeks, um, Syracuse fans kind of freaked out tonight. And I'm not saying the game wasn't, you know, worth freaking out over. It was a really awful game. It was the worst performance since the St. John's game, I'd say. Um, I don't really even think that's too uh, much of a stretch at all. Um, So, yeah, the team played really poorly. But at the same time, they were playing a legit top 20 team um, on the road in a really tough place to play, a team that always gives Syracuse trouble. Uh, I saw some people being like, yeah, but this Louisville team doesn't even have anything to play for. But, like, you could have said the same thing about Syracuse last year, and Syracuse played kind of, I think, some of its best ball last year down the stretch after the sanctions tamper. So you can't, like, just go out there and say Syracuse should have automatically won this game because of Louisville being sanctioned or anything like that. I mean, this is a very good Louisville team, has a lot of seniors. Um, and once they figured out the zone after, like, the first six or seven minutes where they couldn't store a basket. Like, they just were going crazy. And, and I don't don't think the effort was great tonight by SU. But um, I don't know. I feel like people just overreact a little bit to the first bad performance SU's had in, like, close to a month, if not more than a month. Like, even the losses SU had at the beginning of ACC play, like, there was good stuff to find there that ended up turning into wins down the stretch. And here, really awful game, but that'll happen. It's college basketball. I mean, Iowa lost to Penn State tonight. So it's not to, like, try to cover it up or say that you know it's not a big deal it's just you know this team hadn't lost a lot lately they lost tonight against a very good team so hopefully this isn't a sign of things to come um hopefully it was just a bad performance yeah and you know what i mean traveling to louisville's never really been like a like a enviable proposition and we haven't really done all that well you know doing it nor have a lot of other teams um i i think in general like the the narrative of like you know Louisville's just gonna like fall down and die, um, just is is again like it, it's a backwards one. I mean Syracuse didn't really look great at the end of last year. I think that there's I'm not gonna say they quit because that's not the case, but I think that they're like I mean that NC State game last year was just miserable and and the Virginia game was too. Like there was just a lot of bad basketball at the end of last year on top of some good basketball. I just think like toward the end it just. The, the exhaustion of the season, both physically, mentally, emotionally, it all just kind of got to them. And for Louisville, maybe that time comes too, um, but I, I, that time is not now. I think that there's there's a much different vibe um, around that team versus SU. SU was almost definitely NIT-bound. 
um, when they self-imposed a ban and you know Louisville on the other hand is probably I'd say was going to be a dark horse final four team um, and one that was definitely going to be playing with a top four seed Um, so you're definitely seeing a different type of team and again Syracuse we knew in advance of this game that Syracuse had to do well on the boards and that was the only way that they even had a shot against Louisville they did very poorly on the boards so as a result you know they lost the game I mean no the, the the overall numbers don't look great um, they don't look like they're they're that big of a gulf. You know, it's forty-one to thirty total. But um, you know, you look in offensive rebounds, fourteen for Louisville. Um, Tyler Roberson has zero offensive rebounds, which is a rarity for him, uh, considering he's one of the best offensive rebounders in the country. Um, him and Coleman combined for eight rebounds. Like it, it's that type of stuff where we're right. You can just look right there at the box score and say, oh, okay, like that. That's why they lost. Right, and Louisville is, you know, a, a pretty veteran team that plays a very distinct style. You could say the same thing about Syracuse when it made some teams look totally, you know, befuddled out there. So Louisville, not they don't play the the same two three that we do. They play way more of the pressing style, but it's still kind of a unique brand of basketball. And SU is a pretty young team um, that a lot of these players haven't seen much of them. Obviously, uh, Coleman hasn't played in two years. Um, Leiden's a, fr- uh, a freshman. Howard, who played 23 minutes tonight, is a freshman. Malachi had never faced him before. He's a freshman. So um, I, we shouldn't be t- – I'm, I'm not totally shocked that the team didn't look good. Um, I am a little more shocked by how uh, poorly the defense played um, in the second half and, and towards the end of the first half because it looked quite good to start the game. Um, but offensively, I mean – Louisville presents a lot of challenges. And like you said, they are a very good team. They would have been probably a four or five seed. They could have played their way higher than that uh, had they not been, you know, had they not self-imposed that ban. So it's not like Syracuse went out and lost to uh, to Virginia Tech tonight or BC or uh, Georgia Tech. Like, this is a top four ACC team, I think, pretty clearly. Yeah, and to be honest, Virginia Tech right now is giving Miami all it can handle. Um, again, for a reminder to everyone, we're recording this on Wednesday night. You're listening to it on Thursday morning, so who knows what's going to happen. Um, yeah, I, I mean, again, looking at the box score, there were two things that stand out to me, and they stand out in almost every Syracuse loss, and that that goes for you know Syracuse games against great teams, Syracuse games against poor teams. Um, you know, playing poorly on the boards and free throws. And that that's the story of Jim Beheim's entire tenure, uh, for better or for worse, um, and. I think the large amount of wins that he has attributed to his name obviously drowns that out. But um, when you look at the box score of a Syracuse game that does not go in their favor, um, you point right to free throws and you point right to rebounds. And here, you know, 12-21 from the free throw line, despite the fact that they had a uh, an enormous advantage there. Um, and obviously, like I mentioned, um, an 11-rebound deficit. I just referred everyone to my uh, my still pinned tweet, which I almost took down after the BC <laughs> game, and I'm glad that I did not because it was pretty emblematic of tonight's team. Although I do think like the rebounding and the free throws were I think more symptoms than they were like the the root cause. I think the root cause was the team just got blitzed. Yeah, I, I definitely buy that narrative. Um, Dan, you brought up a pretty good point, um, and it's one that I think everyone jumping off the deep end here uh, tonight, you know, really should kind of put in perspective. Um, is just how young this team is and that considering what we expected of this team going into the year, which was little, uh, I'd say like going into the regular season, it was, 
yeah, maybe they, you know, grab a grab a 10 or 11 seed or whatever. You know, like they, they seem like they could get in a large bid. They seem like they could finish middle of the pack ACC. And so far, they really played exactly like we thought they were going to. But I think people still got so caught up in, um, you know, the, the battle for Atlantis uh, results and then got caught up in, in the losses. And then we're ready to sweep the losses right under the rug as soon as they started, as soon as things started getting good again. Um, Dan, are you really surprised by anything that's happened this season? I just feel like we've... I, I just don't think the Syracuse team has played really all that differently considering how young they are, which again, you know, boldface underline that word, young. Um, I just don't think that they've, they've really fallen short of what they what they were supposed to do. Uh, I think we're all just very, very uh, susceptible to recency bias with Syracuse basketball. Um so when Syracuse throws out and lays an egg after winning five straight and uh, whatever it was, uh, eight of nine or whatever it was, like, it, it looked weird. But if this performance had happened in early, early January, it would have seemed pretty par for the course. So, um, no, I mean, I think it, it does make sense when you look at this team on, like, a more macro view. It's a young team. Uh, it's a team with some really, really distinct holes that are not a secret, like, in terms of depth, depth in the interior. Um, and, uh, actually depth really all over because they're real, they're, there are three guys that can play guard, um, except for a couple of minutes of Malachi at the two, but it's, it's just not a team that has a lot of different lineup options. So if, uh, the standard, you know, looks aren't working, there isn't like a, a magic card that Beheim can pull out of from, uh, from his sleeve. Like Frank Howard has turned into a little bit of that, but I think he's pretty much part of the rotation now. And, and he, you know, he's a nice player, but he only adds so much. And offensively, he's still very limited uh, in terms of scoring the ball. So um, I think it, it, this is kind of the Syracuse that – the Syracuse that we've seen this year is what it is. It's just some nights the, the shots fall and, and they they step up on the re, on the boards and Tyler Robeson has a big game, which is super key all the time. Um, and they compete. And then there are nights where Roberson isn't going to be as active because he's still very streaky and – and uh, Tyler Lydon isn't, you know, his best self because he's still young. And, like, tonight he was totally lost. Uh, and Syracuse doesn't look bad. It's just kind of the way this team is going to be. Um, it just so happens that in the last three or four weeks, Syracuse has shown up on a pretty consistent basis. And tonight they just – they totally didn't. And they lost by 14 on the road. So it's um, – I don't know. I think if, if you looked at this team as a whole, it's not that surprising. But uh, I think we all kind of fell into this trap of – oh, hey, we're off the bubble now, we're a tournament team, we're, you know, squarely in the top half of the ACC, where this is, you know, a team that's done to keep on climbing, and, you know, I think it would have been pretty uh, naive to believe that they were going to go win out and go win the ACC tournament or whatever. So um, the problems that this team has still very much exist, um, and SU just has to hope that uh, they keep on, they can rebound, and this doesn't turn into, you know, a losing streak to end the year, because then we might be in some trouble. No, I completely agree. I think everyone's been in agreement that if, you know, Syracuse finishes the season with 20 wins and, you know, before the ACC tournament or that they should be in, if they finish with 21, um, it, it would leave little doubt um, that they would be in the field regardless of what happens in the ACC tournament. Um, you know, you again, you brought up a great point there that uh, this team doesn't have options. It's 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 seven deep. That's it. Um, you have your guys who are going to play a lot of minutes, Benajay, Cooney, and... They're going to get trotted out there for almost the entirety of the game. 
Um, and if Benajay, you can always count on for his numbers, but then everybody else is kind of a wild card. And if, if more of those players lean toward ineffective than effective, you know, that's how you get a loss. Um, and, and I think, you know, anyone tricking themselves into like, you know, this is a team that's going to make a run. I'm not going to say they, they can't make a run We've seen Syracuse team struggle at the end of seasons. Um, and, and, make runs we've seen Syracuse teams excel at the end of seasons and fall flat um I, I think that you know more than probably any SU team in recent memory this is going to be completely and utterly dependent on matchups um and that goes to the ACC tournament too um they're capable of beating anyone but anyone within reason that that, that doesn't have you know an easy answer for for what they are when they're operating at about 75 percent efficiency or more um so I, I think there's a lot of teams that that they can beat if they're playing that well. I think there's a lot of teams that they can lose to um, if they're not. Um, I think teams that play with pace, I think teams that uh, teams that play with pace uh, and, and play more mistake-free basketball. I mean, we saw what happened to Florida State. They were a team that played with pace, but uh, they had mistakes. They weren't shooting well, and Syracuse was playing out of their mind for a good majority of that game. Um, but teams that, that can play big um, and really, you know, I mean, Coleman and Roberson are, are, are largely offensive liabilities. The only thing that they um, really do well is, is, is clog the middle. Um, in Roberson's case, you know, uh, crash the offensive glass. Um, so, so if a team, you know, like Louisville or like a plenty of others, have have something to combat that, um, it doesn't matter how good Syracuse is. They're not. They're probably not going to win, and and that's not a bad thing. I mean, it is, but but it's not something that we should, in my opinion, panic about. Because again, like this is a team that we knew a lot of what they were going into this season, and with luck, you know, any result this year it helps build toward next year. Right. I think really this just comes. It comes down to this being a very high variance team. Like this team, and especially in this season of college basketball, where there's no dominant team. Like Villanova's number one. I don't think any of us think Villanova's uh, a great team, Trash. at least uh, like historically. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like, would you be surprised if SU could go out and beat Villanova by 12? I not wouldn't at all. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Villanova ran SU off the court. And both of those things could probably happen in the course of a week if if they played twice. So um, I think that's just a team we're going to live with. If they hit shots, if they rebound and and stay competitive on that end, they can play with just about everyone. We've seen them play with some of the best teams, like even the North Carolina team that they lost – down the stretch, they were super competitive in for the first, like, 30, 32 minutes. So um, I think we're just going to have to live with uh, a little bit of a frustrating, unpredictable team. But, you know, so many of the SU teams are, especially when, you know, we have to rely on free throws and rebounding and everything. True, true indeed. Um, and, you know, I think, once again, it's worth harping on a little bit. Um, you know, because we have the seven-man rotation, I mean, Bayheim's never really going to go deeper than eight. But um, I think this year, more than any other, hammers home. You, know, you look at a, a team that has no you know, alternate lineups. This is the importance of recruiting. This is the importance on hitting, on recruiting, especially now with less scholarships. I mean, yes, the, the penalties have, been, have decreased a little bit. But, you know, and this has been discussed ad nauseum on the blog, here, on the podcast, on Twitter, whatever, um, is that you, know, you had basically like one or two classes that just for one reason or another, whether it was declaring early, um, just fluke, flaming out, whatever it is, just 
this team is is the epitome of that result. And <clears throat> I mean, the one good thing is that next year um, <clears throat> we can get right past that, and, and and we can we can move on to a better future and and, and a team that you know is more I think properly comprised but right now i think this team is the epitome of what happens when an elite program you know not the like top top obviously but an elite program has some weird things happen in recruiting for a couple years straight yep and i think next year hopefully this team um is a little more balanced when we add uh obviously uh chukwu to the front court we have tyus battle to the back court matt boyer who i think should be able to uh, play right away to an, as a nice uh, wing. So and and obviously we're losing the two guards, but overall I think this there's a chance this uh, this team is um, even more able to cope with some of these issues and, and a little more well rounded that season. Uh, hopefully they can just make up for the loss of Benajay and Cooney, which will be big, especially like even tonight Cooney played really well and he hasn't really been a, a angry talking point for people for a while now, which is good. Yeah, uh, I would say that. You know, that's definitely an underrated part of, of things, and I, I, I note someone on the site to maybe start writing that up, um, is that, yeah, Cooney has, he hasn't played amazingly, but he hasn't played poorly in, in quite a while, um, and that, you know, that's directly coincided with, with this nice streak. I mean, he's cut down on turnovers, it seems, um, he, I mean, he hit five of ten from three tonight and like that that's the cooney you want and that's the cooney that usually results in um a win or at least a closer game than this the problem was he was the only person hitting three um and and that's where you know things get more problematic you have you know cooney starts to get doubled and then other people aren't taking those open shots i mean uh there were only three other threes hit the entire night malachi hit two benajay hit one um and then cooney had five that's that's really not what you're looking for, but um, at the same time, like it's, it's not Cooney's fault that, that no one else is hitting those shots. Yeah, I think Cooney's kind of settled into a role as the third option for the team. I think Benajay is still Benajay or Malachi really takes over as number one depending on the night, um, and that allows Cooney to get more looks, um, shoot uh, more efficiently. Um, the, the the downside is you're not going to get as many. I mean, there, there just haven't been that many, as, uh, that many nights where he's gone off for, like, you know, 25, but he's also just not taking that volume of shots. So, um, but overall, I think it's been a good thing for the team because you, you do have uh, Benajay and Malachi who are a little more well-rounded offensively, uh, and then it allows Tooney to just do what he does best and, and focus on getting good looks and, and playing good defense. Um, so I think going forward, I mean, that tonight, obviously, he, he wasn't, you know, killing Louisville um he wasn't able to like drop 25 and keep it close by himself but overall the last three weeks i mean we've heard very little about cooney um on twitter where the first couple the first month or two and then like pretty much all the last two years uh it's been like constant cooney bashing because he's tried to carry the team himself and that's when you get like three of 13 performances for 10 points and you know he took one shot from inside the arc oh absolutely and you know what like when Cooney plays hero ball, that's when things go south dramatically um, and very quickly. I think Benajay's consistency has been a has been a gift uh, for Cooney, and I think Malachi Richardson's ability to hit shots has also been a load off. Um, yeah, I'd like to see Cooney drive the lane a little bit more because he is such an effective shooter. He's a great foul shooter, so drawing uh, you know those calls um, inside is 
preferred, and, and I've, I've written article after article about that myself, and others have too. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I can't find anything to complain about if, if he's going to hit 50% of his shots um, from three in a given night and end up with five threes. Um, that's not something you want to complain about, especially when you know it's, it's, it's largely um, minimal turnover basketball. He, he just... He's playing smart, and and I think that it's just a shame that it's taken this long um, in his career. And this is not to give him a free pass or everything, but it's just to say that, like, you know, some of Cooney's struggles have been a direct result of, you know, being the only guard um, that could hit a shot for, for extended periods um, of his tenure. Um, so, yeah, I think the fact that he can play off Malachi and, and Benajay now... Um, is a huge, huge boost and could end up, you know, giving him a really nice um, ending to his career um, at Syracuse with fans finally kind of, myself included there, finally kind of coming around to to his value um, with the program. Yeah, I mean, I think it just took a while to settle into his role in the in the on the team. Um, it really took a while; it took like four years. But uh, I'm glad we have him because I, you know, I feel like he has another big performance or two before we're all done here. Uh, and hopefully we can give him a lot of time for that and play fairly deep into March, but we'll see. Fingers crossed on that. Um, I guess we'll kind of switch gears a little bit. Um, Dan, I mentioned uh, an article from Monday uh, where I mentioned eight contenders um, in the ACC and how you know it's a really kind of loaded uh, group at the top of the conference. And, and the bigger issue there is that while North Carolina, um, you know, went into the week with a two and a half game lead on Syracuse, um, there were still, you know, again, eight teams clustered in that two and a half game, uh, you know, area. Plus, despite the fact that UNC was ten and two, um, them, Miami, uh, some of the others uh, at the top of the league had some of the tougher schedules um, going down the stretch. So, I guess talking through that a little bit, I mean. Who would you say is your odds-on favorite right now? I know I kind of said Miami is still the team to beat, but, I mean, you look at some of these schedules, I mean, I'm, I'm really honing in on uh, Notre Dame, a team that, you know, if healthy, um, at Georgia Tech, at Wake, at Florida State, versus Miami, versus NC State. I 5-0 and is not really out of the question there, and if Notre Dame can go 5-0... and they just kind of have to root for two losses from the Tar Heels um, during what is a pretty rough stretch for them to end the season. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, they're one of the most efficient offenses in the country uh, overall. Um, and like you said, their stretch is, is very favorable, maybe the easiest on this list that you put together. Um, like, they on paper, they should go 4-1, and one, and that's giving Miami the game. And 5-0, and oh, like you said, is very much in play. Um, so they wouldn't shock me. I still like UNC uh, just because they have a couple DMs on people. Um, they're beating Duke right now. It's like a, I think it's a four point game at half, and it seems like UNC is a little more in control of things than that even uh, dictates. But I expect them to win this one. Well, I think Matt um, Jones is is Matt Jones officially out? I don't know if he's officially out, but apparently it didn't look good. I actually haven't seen it. I walked in like right before we started. Uh, it didn't look good when I said I did. I don't know if he's back in. Um, and if Matt Jones is out for an extended period of time, you might as well just. Hand it over to the heels at this point. This one and the, and the one at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, then Duke has five players. It's because Emil Jefferson just doesn't seem... Like he's coming back. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it almost sounds like... I mean, and I'm not, you know, accusing the Duke of, of doing kind of what SU did in 2010, but it almost seems like an AO thing where we're, 
you know, we keep on hearing timetables and then they just keep on getting stretched out. Um, it just seems like his injury, he's just not recovering from it all that quickly. Um, and maybe they're just trying to hold hold out for the tournament, uh, maybe get him back for the ACC tournament, get him a couple games. But uh, it, I wouldn't bet on – we just haven't heard enough about him being around the corner. So, um, yeah, I mean, UNC doesn't have the easiest road. They have two with Duke, including the one that's the, the second half just started. Uh, Miami, uh, Virginia – so that's really tough, and, and Syracuse, um, which should could still be a tough game, and assuming we don't uh, close the program after tonight's embarrassing performance, <laughs> uh, which I think uh, a couple people on Twitter want us to do. Um, no, I mean that's a really that's not the easiest stretch by any means, but I also think UNC is maybe the deepest team in the country, them or Kansas. It, it's it's tough. I, I just think they're very talented. I think they have uh, some really you know solid seniors, so I wouldn't bet against them. But uh, Notre Dame is an interesting one, which you raised, um, because just because their schedule just mapped out really well for them. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's it's funny. I feel like Notre Dame, especially from those of us who, who are familiar with Notre Dame basketball, and I, I don't think ACC fans are necessarily on board with the idea or, or just familiar with the idea of just how consistently good of a program uh, Notre Dame has been under Mike Bray. But obviously the, the, the big kind of caveat there is but they haven't been to the Final Four. Now, they almost got there last year, um, and, and and I would give them credit for that. I just think that, like, for some reason, the the thought of Notre Dame being a national title contender never crosses anyone's mind just because of how many times they've, they haven't done it. And, and, and I'm, even for me, someone who's familiar with the Irish, I just feel like we, already in my head, I'm thinking, oh, well, like, Notre Dame's probably going to get, like, a three or four seed and they're probably going to lose the sweet 16 like it's dan do you have the same kind of kind of narrative in your head that no matter what this irish team does in the acc regular season or the acc tournament that like the season's not going to end you know with a championship um i mean i I don't think i'll be picking them to win the title uh in a month but i i also think the kentucky game last year um from which many of the uh, big players are back for notre dame um, I think that did a lot to kind of change the perception of them being a total uh, tournament bus team. And that was obviously a loss, but they gave Kentucky all it could handle, could have easily won the game. And you bring back a lot of guys. Um, Demetrius Jackson, obviously, who missed the SU game, has been great. Uh, Zach August and uh, Bonzi Colson give them, you know, very interesting side and side. They have, they have five guys who are averaging at least 11 points. Um, I just really like teams that are constructed that way, really balanced teams who can kind of uh, kill you in a number of different ways. Uh, they have a handful of uh, two guys shooting over 40% from three, um, guys that play a lot of minutes. They have a couple more than that on the bench. But it just seems like uh, a team that, um, uh, obviously the SU game aside, which was just a really bad performance for them, and I'm sure some of our fans are burying them for because, again, recency bias happens. Um but overall, it's a team that seems like it should be kind of uh, hard to totally shut down in every facet just because they have so many guys who can hurt you in a, in a multitude of ways. Um, so I don't, I don't think they're uh, necessarily like a title favorite or anything, but if they're in there as like a four or five seed, I mean, I don't think there are going to be that many one seeds who want to play them in the Sweet 16. Yeah, no, I definitely buy that. And you know what? I think if, if they can be healthy, I mean, who knows what they do in the ACC tournament. If they win the ACC... Um... I mean, obviously, you know, they don't have to win the regular season title to do that. But I think if they if they can run through the ACC tournament this year, I think they could definitely play themselves into a top two even. 
um, if, if they really can, you know, kind of fail to suffer any more losses in the regular season. Um, they're definitely an interesting team, and you brought up a good point about, you know, last year's squad and how most of that team is back. You know, they played Kentucky really, really close, and they actually kind of created, I mean, Wisconsin didn't really change anything about what they did in their game, but I feel like they kind of put together a pretty solid blueprint for what Wisconsin, with their personnel, could do uh, to Kentucky, and I think that that at least uh, in part, you know, contributed to why the Badgers were able to knock off um, Kentucky uh, and Indianapolis. Yeah, I mean, they and Wisconsin, I wouldn't say were like super similar, but I think they had enough of the same pieces that Wisconsin could take a lot from them. Obviously, Wisconsin had Kaminsky, who was a very, very unique talent, um, and uh, a couple other guys, Decker, who you know was was incredible in the tournament. But um, I just think there were there was enough of an overlap in terms of what the two offenses could do that, like you like you said, I think there was a little bit of a blueprint drawn. And actually, I just looked it up. Notre Dame is the number one uh, in adjusted offensive efficiency on Chen Palm this year. Weird. Duke is number two. Weird again. <laughs> I'm sure Duke is close to the bottom in defense. <laughs> Duke's 105 in defense. Notre Dame is 233. So if you're going by the old adage of, like, you need... Um, I think UConn a couple years ago blew this up, but for a long time, I think every national championship was, like... Every national champion was top 30 in both offense and defense. And I think UConn uh, totally ruined that, uh, but they're like the one uh, example against it. But if you're looking at that as a metric um, and like top 30 in offense and defense efficiency, Michigan state um, is there. Kansas is there. Um, Virginia, Villanova, um, Miami's close West Virginia, interestingly, but there aren't a ton of teams that, yeah, Western is like weird. Like they they play a very distinct style. Uh, they kind of beat people up. Um, they just I, sometimes West Virginia just doesn't come to play. Like, and there are a lot of teams like that this year. Um, that just on a different night, like most of the time, you get a good effort from them. But sometimes West Virginia gets beat by like twenty five. Yeah, and you know what? I, you brought up a good point there. I was uh, I remember somebody tweeted about this the other day. I'd, it just slipped my mind who it was. Could have been anybody. Could have been national. Could have been somebody at Syracuse beat. Um, they were talking about how um, I think that yeah, there was like one team outside the top twenty in defense or some or top thirty in defense, one or the other, uh, that won the national championship in the last like twenty five years. And then that Syracuse in two thousand three was the only team to win the national title without a future NBA point guard or not future NBA guard. Sorry. Yeah, I mean that is we could have had one. Thanks, thanks, Billy. Uh, Billy Allen. He's doing good work with kids now, so that's good. Future. Um, all right, before we hit halftime, um, Dan, where do you think Syracuse finishes in the uh, regular season for the ACC? Just a just a general place, assuming that they probably finish top eight. Um, I'll go with, and I'm just like blindly doing this. Uh, I'll go seven. I think they uh, wrap up. I'm going to give us, let's say, I, I think I kind of feel like we're due to beat Pitt. Pitt's just kind of reeling right now. I'm not impressed with them. We have them at home. Um, NC State's just been bad. Uh, obviously, I think NC State could beat us because Cap Barber is amazing. But uh, I'll give us that. And then I'll say we went at Florida State just because the last matchup didn't give me a lot of reason to pick Florida State. So uh, give, give us three more wins to get to 21 regular season. I'll say we finished seven, maybe six, but um, there's just a lot of parity uh, in this like 
five through eight range. So WSU at seven, get that first buy, which apparently Bayham doesn't like the double buy, so that's fine. I, I don't know that I agree, but um, you know, hopefully pick up another game or two in the ACC tournament and and probably be in the seven or eight seed range for the NCAA's. And this year, honestly, that's fine. I'll take it. Just I'm I'll just glad we're in it after what we were in like late December. Yeah, you know what? I, I I'd buy that. I mean, I'm gonna say eight just because Clemson has a tiebreak on us, just because I do feel like we have a tougher schedule than they do. Um, I think it really depends on Duke's health, too. Um, obviously, if Duke loses Matt Jones, they're screwed, and we could probably uh, leapfrog them. Um, I, I do think that, and I said this on, when we were talking on Slack today, um, SU really needs to get to that six line if they can, because that six line means playing the winner of Georgia Tech in Boston College. And that's that's where you want to be because you want a free pass basically into the semifinals. So basically, if we could like beat UNC, that'd be nice. If we could beat North Carolina, we'll be on that six line, um, in in my opinion at least. And yeah, that that would mean you get one of those god awful teams, um, and and a pretty good chance at getting yourself to the semifinals. Um, and if 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 Syracuse is an ACC semifinals team with twenty one regular season wins. There is no doubt in my mind that they will be um, in the tournament. No, that'd be an, that'd be a ridiculous exclusion. Yeah. <laughs> like, that'd be the all-time biggest snub, especially this year, okay. where there's just not. It's not like there are you know championship contenders uh, or like classic championship contenders falling from the rafters. Like Syracuse is as likely to win the whole thing as like any of these other five through eight possible seed teams. So. Yeah, I still think we're in pretty good shape. Tonight was super ugly, but I think we're going to come play basketball in a couple of days. I don't think the program's going anywhere. I think we can continue to uh, donate and buy season tickets and stuff going forward. Um, <laughs> we're not going to close down shop. No, we'll be we'll be okay. We'll be okay. This is also like the softest, dumbest bubble um, ever. So I, I I wouldn't. I mean, the, the difference between bubble team and lock. Is probably as thin as it's ever been. I, I don't. I mean that that can be a bad thing for Syracuse, but I, I have faith that it's a it's a good thing for us. Yeah, I'm hoping that Louisville also like finishes super strong because they are they pose no no threat in terms of like bouncing us back a couple like friction waves of the bubble uh, anymore. So if Louisville wants to win out, um, that'd be great too. Yeah, that's fine to me. I don't really care. All right, um, halftime. Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, a couple interesting things uh, this week, um, and one super interesting thing that I'll leave for the end. Um, the first couple uh, were two beers from Long Island Beer Pro- Long Island City Beer Project in Queens. Um, one uh, was their uh, Gal Friday Sour, which was like really, 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 really sour. Um, like I. I I don't think it was like it's not the best sour I've ever had or anything, but it was it was fairly drinkable. It like legit, really, really sour. Probably not the most balanced thing in the world, um, but if you like sours, uh, it was pretty good. It was interesting to say the least. Um, I also had uh, their ardent core, uh, which I'm pulling up now. I'm trying to remember what this was. I think it was a yeah, it was a saison farmhouse, uh, really nice. Um, so those are the first two things I've had from them. I'll probably end up stopping in there at some point since. It's over in Long Island City, which isn't you know too far from me in Manhattan here. 
Um, I had the Easy Rider from Black Hot Brewing, uh, which was very good. Um, Session IPA, which obviously we've seen a bunch of recently. Um, I say, I'll say it wasn't quite as good as the Founders or the Boat Beer, which I had last week. Um, but also, I mean, it was, it was, I'd drink that any day too. So that was very nice. Um, I had, uh, another carton beer, their, uh, BDG, their brunch dinner grub, which was, uh, a brown ale, a little heavier, uh, pretty malty. I wasn't as big a fan of it, uh, as a lot of people are, um, has a pretty good rating, like close to a four on, uh, untapped, but it was pretty good. Uh, still interested in trying some other, more of their stuff, um, and then to top it off, on uh, Sunday, a friend came down from Vermont and brought a pack of Hetty Topper, so uh, I appreciate them forever. Um, that was fantastic. Uh, obviously, that's the famous double IPA from the Alchemist Brewer, um, which you can really only find in Vermont, uh, or if you get lucky, el- elsewhere. Um, I will say, since I mean I haven't had the Pliny the Elder in a while, the only time I had it was when you sent it over. Um, I say the Pliny's probably a little better, but they're very similar, uh, and, you know, I wouldn't turn either one of them down ever. So that was fantastic, and a very happy surprise that I didn't know was happening. So, um, yeah, that was my beer week. Um, pretty pretty good overall, I'd say. Nice. And having, I mean, drinking heady is never a, uh, never a bad thing, no matter how frequently or infrequently you, uh, you get to enjoy it. No, I, I definitely understand the hype, and it was a nice way to top off the, the Boston College win, which seems so long ago now that the Syracuse program is being shuttered. Being shuttered. <laughs> so uh, I drank a lot in the last week. Um, some things, let's see. Uh, Mumford Brewing over here in L.A., and Mind Clouder, their uh, double IPA. Grabbed that over at uh, one of my favorite spots in the city, Father's Office. Um, if you've ever watched anything on uh, Food Network or whatever, they have... We'll usually talk about some of the best burgers in the country, um, and specifically Los Angeles. Uh, Father's Office definitely makes that, um, and their beer selection is also fantastic. So if you're ever in L.A., we'd highly recommend hitting up uh, the Culver City or Santa Monica location. Um, they have just—I'm not even going to go into it. I just—I won't even do it justice. Just look it up. You'll want to order it. Um, had a mango even keel. Um, Ballast Point can do a lot of these uh, fruity, fruited IPAs, um, and uh, the mango even keel, they're— uh, mango version of their session um, IPA it was very very good um, I also went down to the brewery um, over in Orange County so got some uh, some pretty awesome stuff there Had a, they had a berry sour just called berry sour um, on from Friday night they usually do a, a couple casks um, and that was left over from that um, got to try out uh, Laurentis that's their uh, kind of raspberry blonde um, sour. Have another bottle of that sitting around um, in my fridge. Um, had some uh, Phil Mishmish. It's a uh, apricot sour that's sitting around in my fridge now. What else? Had oh, got to head over to the Smog City, um, one of my favorite local spots, if not my favorite local spot. Um, and I've know I've mentioned before uh, Cuddlebug. They're like. Uh, I think it's apricot and something else. Uh, maybe passion fruit uh, sour and uh, snuggle bug is a kind of raspberry version of that. Um, and that's probably the best beer I'm going to drink all year, to be honest. At least as far as new stuff, um, so so good. Um, 
definitely recommend that one if anyone happens to be in LA or trades regularly. Um, yeah, I would definitely grab one of those. Um, since Founders is out here, got to try out some of their stuff um, that I might not have had before. Uh, I got to try Project Pam. Uh, Dan, I think you might appreciate this one. Um, it is a uh, black IPA, but um, aged in uh, bourbon maple syrup barrels. So I have not seen that one yet out in the wild, but I'll be on the look for it. Sounds good. Yeah, it was very, very good. Uh, got to cap off my Valentine's Day with that one. Um, and then, since I'm serving jury duty over in Torrance, um, found out that I'm like two minutes away from Smog City. So went over there after surfing. And uh, had some more stuff from them. Um, circled back on Snugglebug, had Cuddlebug as well. Um, Amarillo Gorilla, one of my favorite um, LA IPAs, is back out. So uh, grabbed a taster and, of course, grabbed a bottle to go. Um, and Buzzworthy um, is there. They had this... Uh, it's an interesting... I forgot who they collaborated with, but they collaborated with somebody on this one. It's... Uh, it's like a honey-flavored uh, braggot, and it kind of just tastes like a, not an overly sweet, but kind of like a dry, sweet stout. Um, so, yeah, very good. So if we see pictures on, like, Gawker of someone drinking, like, a straight-from-a-growler injury <laughs> duty in California, that might be John. Could be, although they give us so many breaks <laughs> that I could just drink during those. Anyway, um, it's time for everybody's favorite game. Let's read flawed bracketology predictions, and then Dan and I make blind guesses based on things that are not going to happen because we are weeks away from the season finishing. Give Dan his usual, you know, 20 seconds or so to pull up Joe Lenardi's latest. Not that we see him as the end-all be-all. He's actually quite bad at nailing the seeds, though he usually gets the field pretty well. I actually already had it open, so Perfect. very prepared tonight. Um, he's been like, have you noticed that he's been by far the hardest at, at, on Syracuse out of like the national people? Like he has us a good like two seed lines below everyone else oh, easily. every week. And then of course he has his alma mater, St. Joseph's, you know, like firmly in the field. And I mean, not not only his alma mater, but also his employer. Also fair. He had, but I, I will give St. St. Joe's this now that they're. Uh, yeah, now that they're uh, well, they beat Dayton tonight. Yeah, and they had another nice win like a couple weeks ago, right? Maybe they beat someone else pretty decent. Yeah, so they're probably in now. I mean, the Dayton win is pretty good, but and they're a name team. Like it's not hard to put them in. Yeah. Uh, they beat Princeton, who's actually pretty good. They beat Temple. They beat G Dub. So yeah, right. not not a, right. not a bad little resume. By that. All right, so let's do what we usually do. Uh, go bracket by bracket. I'll head to the east first. Um, Villanova's the top seed. We've already said that's BS. Um, and, oh, look, they'd probably face Connecticut in the second round, and they'd lose. So... When does that ever happen? When, ever, when has Villanova ever lost to UConn in the second round of an NCAA Dan, don't do this to me, because you know what happened in that May- tournament. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Never mind. But this is the problem. Moving on. This is the problem. You, you, on the bright side, you knock out one of those teams. On the other hand, that means one of them gets to advance. Um, this is actually an intriguing bracket. Um, because I think you have 
you have four legitimately interesting, like interesting, cool teams here. Um, it's even if it goes chalk, it's still going to be cool. Um, you've got West Virginia and Maryland. We mentioned West Virginia already. I think Maryland. We, we've both said numerous times uh, the Terps have the talent to get to the Final Four and win it all if they want. Um, yeah, I, I think you're looking at a West Virginia and Maryland matchup in the Sweet 16 for sure. Um, I think Villanova loses to Kentucky for sure. I don't know if they lose to Texas, but either of those teams against Villanova um, would be interesting. Uh, I don't. Connecticut hasn't been playing well lately, um, which makes me doubt the upset potential there. But if Villanova, if Villanova can get out of the first two rounds, they definitely lose to Texas or Kentucky in my book. So I'm going to go with, begrudgingly, I'm going to go with Kentucky getting out of this bracket, but I hate myself for it. I'm kind of feeling similarly. I think Kentucky could, I mean, I'm not going to wait too much in one game since we just spent the whole podcast making fun of that notion, but the way they, they did South Carolina the other day uh, after Calipari got tossed two and a half minutes into the game, like that team is so talented and there's, you know, they might just not have it this year, but there's also a chance they put it together at the right time. Would not be the first time that happened with uh, Kentucky uh, in, you know, similar circumstances to the UConn jokes we were making just now. Um, but, uh, again, not a believer in Villanova. Uh, I think they could beat Michigan or UConn, but, like, if Karis LeVert comes back and is healthy, wouldn't be surprised, uh, wouldn't surprise you. I mean, he is back now, but if he's, like, 100%, wouldn't surprise me if Michigan came out of that uh, little pod there. Um, I just I'm not feeling UConn this year at all. I know that's probably not the right thing to do after all the evidence we have, but it just doesn't seem like they don't have that guy this year. Right. Um, like we we knew Kemba Walker was great, uh, and we just and we had just watched him dominate the Big East tournament. Um, we knew that uh, Shabazz Napier was really good. Um, this this year, I mean, they have some nice players, but uh, they're just not. I don't know. I, I just don't see them having that that X factor guy who's going to go and win them a bunch of games. They have some some nice pieces, but uh, they're just I don't think they follow that model. Well, they also um, scheduled so poorly this year. I, you know, no escalators was talking about this on Twitter, and, and I agree with him. Is that like UConn? UConn scheduling like we did in a lot of ways when we were in the Big East, but at least we had the Big East schedule to fall back on. Like UConn is scheduling some pretty piss poor teams, and as a result, like. A UConn team that's scheduled better would find themselves hanging around maybe a six or a seven seed, but this UConn team is going to have to get through a one seed, a potential four seed Kentucky. I mean, there's a lot stacked against them because of just the way they constructed the schedule. Yeah, and the and and the American gets no love. Um, their big chances were in the were in Atlantis, and they lost to us, and they lost to that to uh, the Zags. Um, and the Zags have fallen off a cliff. The Zags, yeah. Uh, and they, I mean, both of those were only by three, but you know they're only going to get so much credit for that. They lost to Maryland by ten. Um, the the other big game they had on the schedule was Ohio State. Ohio State's not very good. They beat Texas, which you know will we'll look good at the end of the year because Texas has really rebounded, but Texas wasn't very good at that at the time. So they have some interesting stuff, but the the AAC is just is such a mediocre, boring league, especially when they're they're best by best best team by far can't play in the tournament. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just not a believer in UConn this year. Um, and if they go and win another title, you know, I'm just going to pick them every single year after that, because <laughs> that'd be totally ridiculous. Um, 
I agree with you on Texas and Kentucky. Uh, I already brought up Kentucky. Texas, like, they're playing super good basketball right now. I, I think people were very quick to totally write them off. Um, Shaka Smart's just too good a coach. Like, that, if we get Texas-Kentucky, I think that'd be a really, really awesome matchup. Um, I'm going to lean the Wildcats there, but I like either of those teams to be Villanova or UConn or Michigan, like you said. Um, on the other side, uh, we brought up West Virginia. I think they're the best team in that whole pod by far. Utah just, I don't know, I feel like they've just been sneaking up these rankings after having a pretty weird midseason. Um, they were pretty interesting early in the year, but they're not super impressive to me. I think the Pac-12 overall, like, there are some interesting teams, but I, I feel like they're kind of getting a lot of uh, a lot of credit um, for just a lot of parity overall. Uh, like even Oregon, like I don't buy Oregon as like a two seed. Yeah. I think maybe a good four seed, but they're like on the two three line every week now. Um, Providence, just you know, they've been pretty bad the last couple weeks. Uh, Chris Dunn's great, but he can only do so much. So uh, like you, I'm riding with Maryland, um, and then I'm gonna stick with what you did. I'm gonna take Kentucky over Maryland. Um, to go to the Final Four, which, uh, you know, not the best thing. I've kind of learned to accept Kentucky as someone who always is always going to be around, and I think there is a level of, um, of like, impressiveness in terms of what Calipari is able to do with basically an entirely new roster every year if you just get past, like, all of the allegations and all the, you know, inherent sliminess and everything. If you just try not to care about that, there is, like, something to... Oh my God! What a block in the UNC game. Um, there's, yeah. So I mean, I think I am too. I'm an ESPN three, but uh, yeah, I, I think you can find things to in, appreciate about the Kentucky program if you kind of forget like all of the insinuations about how their program is being built and everything. Oh, for sure. I mean, honestly, like when I like I I hate Kentucky, but when I watched them live at the Final Four last year, I I was. I was impressed. I was impressed by just what that team was doing from a basketball standpoint. The fact that until the final seconds ticked off that clock, you thought that there was a chance that they could beat Wisconsin. I mean, it was just this, just very physical, very, um, just, you just knew that they were top to bottom, the most talented team um, in the building that weekend, even though they didn't win it. Yeah, I think like back in 2009, 2010, it was very popular to say that Calipari just wasn't a very good coach. He just had a lot of talent. And I think I play, I probably agreed with that at the time. And just watching them every year, like, I no longer think that Calipari's not a good coach. Like, I think he does get the most talent, but, like, he's totally – he's coaching, like, a very, very new team every year. And he, he recruits just the best talent kind of regardless of of how they play. And then he adjusts to his players. And it's it's very different from what Beheim does. Um and it's a totally different still set, and he pulls it off pretty much every year, except for the one time when uh, Nerlens Noel got hurt and they were terrible. Um, but like, if you're, you're going to sign for one embarrassing NIT year when you're going to the Final Four, like seventy-five percent of the time, yeah, even that. when you're an eight seed, yeah. So, I mean, if you want to accuse him of cheating or whatever, that's fine. You know, you might not be wrong, but I, I don't know how much um, different he is than anyone else at this point. But just the fact that he can go out and get these players to play together. Um, and like, they do seem pretty much every year to be very, very unselfish teams, which is totally flies in the face of like what you would expect a team full of, you know, four of the top 10 recruits every year go to Kentucky. You'd think that those guys would all want the ball at all times, but they, he just gets those guys to buy in. So, uh, 
that was the weirdest segment of like three minutes of praising John Calipari you'll ever hear on this. But I do think uh, it does need to be said sometimes. Like if you actually just watch them as a basketball team, they are incredibly impressive, even when they're very flawed at sometimes. Agreed. He he masks a lot of things. <laughs> and after ten minutes of talking about the East bracket, we are now going to try to talk about the rest in a little bit less time. <laughs> Um, looking at the Midwest, um, Valpo Duke screams upset. I don't, you know, it Duke. <laughs> you know how this works now, and and people brush this under the rug. Duke, every year they don't go to the Final Four. Lately, they get upset in the first round. And Valpo's actually a pretty good team this year. Um, I don't buy Duke being healthy as we talked about earlier. So yeah, I'm going Valpo. Um, I don't buy Colorado or Wisconsin. I don't buy Wisconsin as a nine seed, to be honest, Lenardi, but whatever. Um, yeah, seriously. I think they were just, like, off the bubble a week ago. I know they beat Maryland, but, that's like... still nonsense. There should be a little bit of a process here. Yeah. I, 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 got, I got Kansas over Dayton to get the Elite Eight, but, again, like, I hate Dayton because of what they did a couple of years ago, but um, I, I could definitely... I could see them making noise. I could see Valpo getting themselves to a surprise seed 16, but... I'm going with Kansas at that top half, and then looking at the bottom half, uh, this this lays out really nicely for Miami. Um, at the same time, um, don't ignore that USC Monmouth game, which could be a hell of a lot of fun. Um, and, Brown, it's a it's a it's a uh, what's we call it? It's a um, they've played twice already this year. Oh, that's true. <laughs> and they've split they've split those games. It's a rubber game. That's what I've been looking for. I feel like the, tor- the committee would try to avoid that. So that's how, and, and, and I think this is where Lenardi's bias comes in, is they feel like you flip-flop St. Joe's and Monmouth there. Or anyone. Like, why would you want to put those teams against, aside from the, the storyline of having, you know, a, a three-game, but, like, that's not really fair to either of those teams. Well, yeah, but, like, I mean, you look, Lenardi put St. Joe's against Providence in Brooklyn, like, when he should be sending them out to Des Moines. <laughs> He just doesn't want to do to Des Moines. That's probably it. Is what this is. Oh, actually, I, no, he's stuck in Bristol, so he probably doesn't. Yeah. I don't know. He probably doesn't want to send his, his boys to Des Moines. No. But, which I don't really blame him for. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> but notably, I don't buy Iowa, and after tonight, even more no. reason not to buy them. Um, I've now seen them two straight weeks just completely shit the bed against inferior teams. Um, so, yeah, I'm done with Iowa. So let's put USC into the Sweet 16, despite playing poorly of late. Um, let's get Miami against Kansas in the uh, in the Elite Eight, and let's go with Kansas because I do think the Jayhawks are probably playing the best basketball in the country at the exact right time. Yeah, we're in. I, I hate being all like total agreement, but like I was trying to map this out in my head, and pretty much the same thing. Like I, the Valpo thing, like obviously Duke could lose because Duke's very flawed. I do think that could also like stream of the 12 seed that everyone takes yeah. and then they lose horrific, horrifically. Um, I do like Kansas. I've been preaching Kansas a while. I think they're one of the more well-rounded teams in the tournament. Duke, I don't buy. Dayton, I think, is overrated. Um, I think Yale could beat Dayton. Yale's pretty interesting. Um, Colorado-Wisconsin is just not a very fun matchup. Um, I'm interested in Baylor. I know there's a little bit of, like, you know, Scott Drew not being the best big game coach, but he has made a couple of lead eights. Um, and they seem to be flying under the radar just because the top of the Big 12 is so insane. Um, but from the bottom, I like Miami as well. I just think they're the most consistent team there. USC, uh, I, USC or Monmouth and it's Iowa would be very scary for if I was a Hawkeye fan just because 
Uh, I think Iowa is kind of falling back to the pack, although I don't see them still being a two-seed come Selection Sunday, so they probably won't have to deal with it. Um, but, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I think Kansas over Miami uh, in what would probably be a pretty well-played game. Yeah. Uh, heading down to the West, um, you know, I think Oklahoma is the best team in the country um, right now. I, like I said, I think the Kansas is rounding itself into the best team in the country. Um, I still like Oklahoma. Um, I think the Zags are a joke, and I said I say this all the time. Um, I think California, whatever. Um, w- what could be interesting here, um, Oklahoma Notre Dame in a Sweet Sixteen matchup. Um, I don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have family ties to San Diego State, so I don't want to bash the Aztecs too much. But the Aztecs are trash this year, um, and there's. I mean, yes, they had a nice win streak, but when you compare this Aztecs team to past Aztecs teams, there's just not the same. There's not the same leadership. There's not the same quality defense. Like there's just a lot missing. Um, on the other side um, of this one. I'm reluctantly going to pick Indiana to get to the Sweet 16. Um, and I'm probably... I would consider picking Indiana to beat Virginia, but I won't. I think Virginia, because they don't have to face Michigan State, finally gets itself to the, the Elite Eight, but they lose definitively to Oklahoma. Yeah, I can't pick Indiana. I can't pick Tom Green. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just can't do it. I think they're super talented. I think they have a talent to be like a top three seed. And Tom Crean's, oh, he's just so Tom Crean. I can't do it. So I'm going to take Temple to beat them in the first round okay. and just free myself of any. Because, like, Indiana, I think, uh, talent-wise, should win the bottom of that bracket easy. Yeah. Uh, maybe not easy. Virginia's very good. And I'm going to take but Virginia out of. <laughs> everyone else, yeah. Oregon's overrated. Hawaii, I have no idea. South Carolina's being exposed. Uh, VCU, obviously, is not. Shock a smart VCU anymore. Um, I'm taking Virginia and feel pretty good about that. I'm taking Temple to beat Indiana and maybe beat <laughs> Oregon as well. Um, if Oregon beats Hawaii. Yeah, I don't know anything about Hawaii. Me neither, um, not, not a thing. I guess they're pretty good. Because they play in the Big West. Like, I don't, like, I, I, the only thing I know about Big West basketball is UC Irvine. And that's only because local press actually covers them because like UCLA. They have a 7-foot-6 dude. Yeah, exactly. Because like... They, they played well in the tournament last year. They were my, like, upset special against Louisville, and they almost did it. And then, you know, UCLA's playing like shit. USC's fallen down a little bit. So, yeah, and San Diego State's playing poorly. So, as far as local, like, this is what the media is covering in Los Angeles now is how good UCI is, even though they're still not in line to take this bid from Hawaii. And does Robert Capula even call Hawaii's basketball games? Because if not, I'm totally out. Uh, he doesn't, but I, he definitely should. Like, why? Why not? What are you losing, Hawaii basketball? I mean, I'm, <laughs> what else is he doing? I don't know. Um, I, I agree with you on the top. I like Oklahoma. I'm, I'm all in on Buddy Heal. He's amazing. Uh, Notre Dame, I think, is very interesting. Like, we laid it out before. Obviously, the defense lacks. Um, I could see Oklahoma, like, Cousins and Heal just going bananas against that defense. But I think that would be a, a very high-storing fun game. Um, I'm taking Oklahoma over Virginia. Um and yeah, I, this is. I feel like every week we alternate between like being kind of out there with these picks, and then also just like now this week we're kind of boring with them. But it's the way Lenardi mapped it out, so blame him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the South. Um, you know what? Like North Carolina is too deep. Um, Wichita State could actually, like, I could see Wichita State pulling this upset against Villanova very easily, but. Against North Carolina, it's not going to happen. Um, I don't buy Florida. 
Um, no, Florida's not very good. No, uh, Florida. There's so many teams in this bracket. Like, I get concerned about Syracuse maybe falling but off. Then you the look at how bad back. these teams. Are. Like Florida's bad team, Wisconsin. I know they beat us, but they've just woken up. Like, there are some like even like the seven seeds. Is LSU have a much better resume than Syracuse aside from having maybe the best player in the country? They're like, not, not really. After tonight, because they're getting Providence smoked by Bama. Is, yeah, Providence is plummeting. South Carolina may not might not make the tournament at this point. Um, like that's I'm very un, I'm not that concerned. Like Syracuse, I mean, it all a lot of it depends on how much the Bayheim thing factors in, and I don't even know if it should. But you know, whether it does or not, we're not going to complain. But um, like if that's any kind of consideration, even if it's not, like Syracuse still is right in the mix and and has enough big wins where it should rival here because some of these like seven eight teams are just not good basketball teams. No. Also, can we talk about the fact that Duke's about to be North Carolina? Somehow. Grayson Allen's going to have another buzzer beater, isn't he? Screw that guy. He's going man- to manage a hedge fund soon. <laughs> and that, that's his career. Either that or he's going to be Syracuse's next starting quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the only two options for a Duke guard. Do you have any idea if he's ever played football before? Probably not. God damn it. I just hate Duke so much. <laughs> I know I'm a little oh. bit ahead of you. Yeah, I mean, it's, he just made the free throw. It's seventy four, seventy three, with under a minute left. Yeah. We're gonna give you. A, we're gonna have live reactions at some point here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I already had my live reaction. I'm that far ahead of you. Oh damn! <laughs> yeah, that's what I get for being a cable a cord cutter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't look at Twitter during dramatic basketball games. I, I I pay an exorbitant amount of money to not be a cord cutter every month. But yeah, getting back to oh god damn it yeah exactly oh okay. never mind he backroomed it um. Yeah, so the South. Yeah, getting back to the South. Um, oh, look, North Carolina's playing in Raleigh. That's weird. Um, wait, wait, that seems sketchy to me. Do they, are they allowed to do that? Well, they are the one seed. I'll give them a, I'll give them a pass here. Does that happen every year? It's like, Actually, do they, do they... Lenardi sends Duke out to Denver in this. That's pretty funny. There's no way that actually happens. They're... God damn it, Duke won. That's ridiculous. I guess that helps us, maybe. Yeah. I don't even know, because we play both these teams, like... We play, yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess. Well, no, no, no. Now the problem is that we're we're definitely not hitting that six line because I was definitely banking on Duke. Oh, Matt Jones on crutches. That's not great. No, but I was definitely banking. That might like that's a big win for them, but you, they're down to like five players now. Yeah, I mean, I don't really like their their like prospects to do anything, but I mean, this definitely helps them make some noise here, and I mean, that it just it screws us because. Like, the only way that we overtook North Carolina was if North Carolina, like, really played poorly down the stretch. And, I mean, no, we weren't looking to finish first necessarily, but, yeah, if there was any shot at it, um, you know, I think Duke is kind of now, like, I feel like Duke just got itself, is going to end up getting, like, a top two seed in the ACC, and it's going to piss me off. Yep. I mean, if... If they do, they're going to earn it because those kids are going to play so many minutes. Oh, yeah. Like, Marshall Plum, Plumley's about to play, like, 35 minutes a game. I'll give him credit. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not the take. They're a good team. I'm not going to take anything away from them. No. But, man, did not expect that one. No. Anyway, South Bracket while we wrap up. Um, <laughs> all these teams are trash. Um, Florida State wouldn't be in the field anymore anyway because they're getting smoked by Georgia Tech tonight. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even see them there. 
And Purdue would, would wreck them, either of those teams. Purdue's really pretty good, I think. Yeah, I think St. Mary's isn't, isn't awesome. Um, I, I got North Carolina getting out of this top half pretty easily. We've learned our lesson with Iowa State. Won't do it. Um, <laughs> just Chattanooga's actually an interesting 13, to be perfectly honest. Um, but yeah, moving away from that. Um, bottom half of this thing screams Michigan State. And again, like I hate you, Tom Izzo, but if you look at this, like Syracuse and Xavier are the only teams in that entire bottom part worth a damn. Um, and even then, you know, Syracuse is... We know what Syracuse is, and I don't really think they can beat Xavier in that second round. I think Xavier could also be tested by UAB in that first round. I mean, I would love nothing more than to to beat a, a one-man team in LSU and then face UAB because Xavier didn't get up for the 15 game. Yeah, and from the Syracuse angle, Ben Simmons is absolutely terrifying in terms of like playing that middle of the zone. Um, so I don't really look forward to that, but I also, on the other hand, think that Johnny Jones trying to coach against his own would be hilarious. Yeah. Like, I could see Ben Simmons just ruining our lives, or I could see Syracuse beating LSU by 25. Like, that that does not strike me as a team that would handle the defense well on paper. Um, Xavier, I don't know. I, they play, they're like one of those, the few consistent teams at the top this year. They just seem to be hanging around. Um I haven't watched them enough to really form a right opinion on them, so I'm going to trust that they're pretty good just because they've been, you know, playing pretty strong basketball all year based on, like, what I've seen. Um, I, I like Michigan State out of the bottom. Uh, always, just, always, always, always. Uh, Stupid. It's, it's, it's Izzo, and they're actually good, and Denzel Valentine's playing well now. Like, it's you can't pick against them. Arizona's not as good as they've been in recent years. Vandy, the fact that Vandy's in this field is crazy. Vandy is like, aren't they like 15 and 10 or something? Like, they're not that in good. In the SEC Cincinnati's also. Good. Uh, like, again, another example, like, we're going to make the tournament. Does Vanderbilt's in this field? <laughs> Florida State's in this field. Um, and I, if we agree out of the top again, North Carolina, I think it's just by far the best team there. Purdue is interesting. I think Purdue... Against um, any other one seed, they're more interesting. Yeah. Uh Unfortunately, North Carolina's size kind of negates what they do well uh, in a big way. Um, Iowa State, I mean, I would love for Iowa State to be good because sure. they're so much fun and they bomb people out. But, like, I've just learned enough. Uh, like, last year we were so far in on Iowa State and they just they just hurt us so much. But A.J. Hammonds for Purdue, um, he's great. He's one of the best bigs in the country. But North Carolina can just throw centers at you all night, um, as Syracuse saw. But at the so, same time, North Carolina just lost to Duke playing five guys. So that's the thing. It's like we, we can we can buy in on North Carolina. I buy in on North Carolina, but um, and this is coming from someone who watched a hell of a lot of North Carolina basketball growing up and everything else. Uh, not that I am a Tar Heel sympathizer, but growing up, I always, always, always watched every North Carolina and Syracuse game, and those were my top two choices when it came to college. So while I don't have a soft spot for them anymore, I understand everything there is to understand about Tar Heels basketball and their, their runs in March. I just think that this is another season, and we talked about this last week, is that despite all the fun and parody and everything else, we're going to end up with some BS, blue blood-laden shock Final Four. I just, I don't see the bloodbath that, that what was it, 2007 was? Or was it 2006? Yeah. Yeah. 06 was like the all four one seeds? Is that no. that year? Oh, oh, I think 07 or 08 was the all four one seeds, but two years before that was the 06 one when George Mason was in. Oh, and, that's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the insanity. Well, it was George Mason, and then like UConn, and yeah, that like that whole uh, thing was a zoo. Like where like yeah. Florida one is like a three seed, but there was like a lot of other like BS. Like it was just 
it was a silly field. I think this year, I do think that despite it being insane, I think that there's a line for the insanity and where it stops. And I think that that line allows the kind of a rope to fall between the blue bloods and the non-blue bloods. And that's how we end up with a, with a very blue blood field based on what we projected out at least. Yeah, I mean, that happens a lot, though. You see, like, the crazy first couple of weeks, and you see some guys like like Iowa State losing, whoever people are, are bullish on, or, like, a Baylor going down or something. But then at the end, like, the teams that have the pedigree sneak through. And, that you know, that's what college basketball, that's what, like, CBS will be rooting for, because uh, I heard there was some discussion of this, like, whether people like upsets or, like, uh, the best teams winning. And I think it's a combination of both. People like upsets in the first couple rounds, but at the end, like, the, the games that, like, the VCU... Who would VCU play in the the Final Four? Um, Butler? Was it? I thought they played in different... I thought they played different teams. The VCU... I'm trying to remember. Did VCU lose to UConn? Not that year. Um, no. Uh, wait, wait, I don't remember. <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up. There was, like... Whenever there was those matchups with, like, the, the Cinderella teams, like, we... College basketball fans probably dig it, and, like, the... You know, I mean, they... Gets this to be this narrative. The tournament but, doesn't um, make money off... College basketball. No, they fans. want they want Kentucky. They could, if they could have four Kentuckys, they well, do yeah. it every year. No, and I totally get that. I think. I mean, I don't like it necessarily. It's the same thing in college football. Like at the end of the day, you love parity, you love upsets. But as a sport, you want Alabama and Ohio State and Texas and a couple others to be there every year in football. In basketball, you obviously want the the same list of four to seven teams um, to, to get into the Final Four. And I think too, like from a casual fan perspective, I mean. That's how you keep them interested is you have the early round upsets that they need to care about. And then later on, they want to still you, – you want, you know, casual fan, you know, Jane Jones or whoever, like, to say to themselves, all right, well, I got three of the, the, the four into the final four despite taking some, some hits in the early rounds. And, and now I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, the, my potential to win my office pool or my pool with all my friends or whatever it is. Yeah, I'm. Hold up, I totally misremembered how VCU did here because this was the year of the awful uh, Butler UConn game. So I, I, I honestly I boycotted that game. Oh, I watched. I it. didn't it even was, watch. I, I wouldn't do it. It legitimately, like I, I promise everyone, this I, I don't say this for my animus for UConn because I've watched UConn win enough things before and win things like in entertaining fashion. Still, the worst basketball game I've ever watched. Like, and it could have been. Like, it could have been Syracuse beating uh, Butler, and I would have celebrated that game, and I would probably tell you, like, yeah, that was an awful basketball game. So, don't need to do that again. Um, but, yeah, like, the, the brass want to see Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, UNC, etc. You know, narratives and, and storylines go far enough, but, like, they're rooting for the, for the, big, the big teams to, uh, to make it. And more often than not, like, we have at least two or three of them. Yeah, and yeah, we had two or three of them. Said, I was in Indianapolis last year. I complained about the fact that it was all Blue Bloods, uh, save Wisconsin. But you know what? Like, that place was electric the entire weekend. Like, the press felt it. The sponsors felt it. The fans felt it. I mean, it was, the place was wild all weekend. And, like, that's, that's what they need. That's what they want. I mean, and for some reason, like, as someone who makes money, in various ways because of college sports, not always proud of it on both ends. Like there's, there's definitely something weird, but something rewarding about like at the end of the day, the upsets and, and the underdogs and all that make 
the season, but the championships are made by the ones who always win it, and, and those are the teams that make money, and those are the players that eventually go on to make more money. Um, it's it, it's a weird balance. I don't understand how college sports does it and, and has kept people interested for this long doing it this way, but they have, and just kind of have to accept it. Yep, and hopefully at some point that money starts to funnel down to other people that deserve it. Yeah, like the ones <laughs> that are actually playing the sport. That'd be cool. Let's do that. Not to not to go make this podcast run an hour thirty by soapboxing, <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you want to tweet me about that, you know, I can throw some throw some characters at that one. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so fun. I, I don't know. I'm still excited for the tournament. I, I as long as it's good basketball overall, I think we'll all be happy. Yeah. There have been some years where it's just like shitty games after the first weekend and. That's never fun. I mean, even if there aren't a ton of upsets, as long as there's like compelling bat drama the first couple of days, and then it sticks out. Like last year's tournament, I thought was pretty well played overall. If it's like that, I think we'll all be pretty uh, pretty thrilled. I think the shot yeah, clock the shot clock changes help. I think we're in. For yeah, I mean, what was the stat that I think Billis said? Someone posted it was like it was. It went from like yeah, was it like four teams last year were storing eighty points a game, and now it's like thirty or something? Like that's a pretty big jump. Hey. I don't know if that's the right stat, but it was something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, it was something along those lines. Um, so yeah, Dan, I think uh, we've exhausted all possibilities on this thing. We uh, we actually we've cut it at about an hour lately, and, and I'm surprised that considering we didn't really talk specifically to Syracuse. Actually, I'm not surprised because we didn't talk specifically to Syracuse uh, for the last you know 25 minutes or so. But yeah, we uh, we stretched it a little bit longer. After tonight's game, uh, the, the last game in the history of Syracuse basketball, as, <laughs> <laughs> of course. R.I.P. Syracuse hoops. Yes. I mean, we probably should have spent more time on Syracuse considering we're never going to watch them play again. Yeah. Um, but I think thankful people will be thankful that we didn't spend too much time on the Louisville game. No more than we needed to. Agreed. All right. Uh, Dan, as always, thanks for, uh, thanks for making some time. Yes, sir. Uh, and for everyone else, you can rate, review, subscribe on Blog Talk, on iTunes, on any other service that you might use to listen to us. Um, say nice things about us. It actually helps. Um, and yeah, go Orange. Happy lacrosse season. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.